Hello again. You're listening to the news at one. Residents of an HSE care facility in County Donegal were subjected to sustained sexual abuse over a prolonged period of time with the full knowledge of staff and management, according to an independent review, the executive summary of which has been published today. The National Independent Review Panel was asked to investigate the case of one resident, given the name Brandon in the report, at St. Joseph's Hospital in Stranollar between 2003 and 2018. The report says 18 victims of Brandon's sexual assaults have been identified, that there was no evidence of families being informed at the time and that a strategy of moving Brandon around various wards gave him access to new victims. In a moment we'll be talking to the HSE's Chief Operating Officer Anne O'Connor but first let's hear from our Social Affairs Correspondent Alva Keneally. Alva, it is a shocking report but uh, it is the executive summary, the full report has yet to be published. Yeah, no sign of the full report. So this is an 11-page summary of what is approximately a 67-page report. Much of it is in the public domain but it does outline the prolonged sexual abuse of intellectually disabled residents at a centre run by the HSE in County Donegal detailing how a former resident, given the pseudonym Brandon, sexually abused at least 18 intellectually disabled adult residents between 2003 and 2016. Now, the report points out that this review centred on 2003 onwards, but... The first recorded incident of sexual assault by Brandon was noted on the files reviewed by the National Independent Review Panel. Um, That was noted as in as the year 1997. Mm. So it notes three other incidents of inappropriate sexual behaviour between 1997 and 2002. And while the review published today, it says these earlier records suggest that this sexualised behaviour had been ongoing and known to managers uh, of the service at the time. And then in 2003, his sexually inappropriate um, behaviours increased. And the report says Brandon was able to identify particularly vulnerable residents whom it says he pursued relentlessly. He was eventually moved from the complex in 2016 when he was put into a private nursing home where he passed away last year. Now, as you say, the focus of the report, the investigation was on that period 2003 to 2018. uh, And the report says it identified, but presumably isn't necessarily confined to 18 known victims. Yeah, so it has identified 18 residents who it believes were sexually assaulted in that period. But from November 2011 onwards, it says there are no further written reports of Brandon assaulting a named individual. However, there are a number of reports on file to suggest that Brandon continued to engage in inappropriate behaviour until he was moved out of the complex in 2016. It says there's no evidence that any of the families of these residents were informed at the time of these assaults and the executive summary talks about this model of care used by the services and it describes it as outdated essentially. Um, It believes the most significant contributing factor was that the clinical environment of the first unit that Brandon was housed, uh, that was subsequently recreated within the next unit in the complex where, you know, it says it's calling it like there's a medical mode approach, which the report says largely reflects how people are cared for in a hospital environment rather than these, you know, a centre like this, where residents, they're viewed as patients Mm -hmm. or that they're ill or in need of treatment. So essentially it advises a more holistic and person-centred approach for people with disability in these facilities and to move away from that medical connotation. In relation specifically to Brandon, it does identify a number of, of, of occasions on which a were reported to the Gardaí. 
Yeah, the community health organisation in the area reported four occasions of contact between uh, the services and Ongarda Siakona in relation to Brandon, according to the report. The review panel found that the first report to Gardaí relating to the sexual assaults was made in June 2011, but the panel found no evidence of any follow-up to this report. Uh, the report itself says that in April 2019, Gardaí confirmed to the HSC that they were completing an investigation regarding Brandon, which I understand has been completed. And one other aspect of this, uh, Alva, the report identifying staff experiencing powerlessness, those who, who tried to raise concerns not being heard, not being listened to. Yeah, it uses the word powerlessness because they were regularly trying to report incidents up the line in the expectation that something would change, but it never did. Uh, the report says, um, you know, Staff who the research team met described an environment where people were and still are very fearful of coming forward. They described a legacy of bullying where people were shouted down and sometimes bullied out of their jobs, it says. Uh, the review team did, however, find some evidence um, that many staff working at the services did their best to manage a very difficult but ultimately unmanageable situation. And it says this working environment undoubtedly contributed to high levels of absenteeism and a reliance on agency staff, which itself, it says, contributed to to Brandon's ongoing mismanagement. Alva Keneally, thank you for that. Let's talk now to the Chief Operations Officer of the HSE, Anne O'Connor. A very good afternoon to you, Anne O'Connor, and thanks for joining us on the programme. It is really a very shocking report, and uh, only if only in summary form. Um, and what it identifies again and again is, is missed opportunities. Staff and management fully aware of the behaviour of, of Brandon, uh, and yet, if anything, the action taken compounded the situation, gave him more opportunities to abuse. How could it have happened over such a long period of time? Brian, so as you rightly said, this uh, report sets out a very upsetting story, really, of sustained sexual abuse by one person who was cared for by our disability services of 18 others between those years of 2003 and 2016. Uh, From the outset, I just want to say that this just should not have happened. Um, We should not and we will not stand over what has happened here. Um, And on behalf of the HSE, I want to apologise sincerely to those people who've been impacted within that service or indeed people who are upset by this report in any of our disability services services around the country. This is not how we want to deliver services. And as you said earlier, you know, we are aware that families were not told about these incidents at that time. Now, that was subsequently rectified in 2018 on foot of a look-back review. Uh, but this is not uh, the standard to which we aspire to deliver our services. Um, we have been working very closely with that service over recent years since we first had the look-back review, uh, which was commissioned by the Community Health Organisation, as you say, on foot of a whistleblower in 2016. And that completed in 2018 and then the National Independent Review Panel uh, were commissioned at the end of 2018 and that's the report we're talking about now. Um, And the report is a very, uh, even, you know, you're describing it as a summary report, it's a report written by the National Independent Review Mm. Panel for publication and it is a very fulsome report in that it identifies all the findings and recommendations but important to note that the work of the review panel is underpinned by confidentiality and engagement so it's very important for us just on your initial question, it's very important to us that we can find out about these incidents, that we know when they happen that we can learn from them, deal with them make sure that our policies reflect what is happening uh, 
and it's on that basis that we're publishing this report yeah, could today. We look though at just some of the the, the opportunities uh, where where Brandon could have been stopped and wasn't. For example, uh, he was first reported to Gardaí in relation to sexual assaults in June 2011. But the report says that there's no evidence of any HSE follow-up on this. That's right. That's right. There's a series, uh, I suppose, as set out in the report in terms of missed opportunities here. Um, important to note that Brandon was also somebody in the care of our services with quite complex needs uh, who also didn't receive a full assessment of his needs at the time. Mm. Um, and there are questions there. But I think what we know was that, you know, this was just not how we should deliver services. This individual and critically the people who he abused did not receive the correct services from us. Was the HSE uh, aware that his behaviour had been reported to Gardaí in June 2011? No, so this, I mean, this came to our attention in 2016 uh, in terms of, as I said, a whistleblower through a local politician. Prior to that, we did not know about this, so the local service was dealing with it or not, um, and we became aware in 2016, and it's from then that all of the different actions have been taken. So the look-back review was commissioned by the Community Health Organisation uh, at that time, at the end of 2017, and completed in 18, as I said. Uh, really, we've been working with the families since that time. We met the families in 2018 mm. to advise them and inform them uh, in line with open disclosure and it's important to say Brian that we have a number of new policies that have come in since those years so for example our open disclosure policy are the development of our safeguarding teams now in all of our community health organisations so these services and initiatives have developed over more recent years mm. uh, as we also important to say you know the reference in this report is really crucial to the reform of our disability services uh, and we've been working now since 2012 to decongregate disability settings for exactly the types of reasons we're hearing about today delivering mm. services to people in a social way uh, in line with their own human rights on this and question, clearly that though, didn't happen on here. this question of, of staff who tried, to, tried to, to raise the red flag as it were and experienced according to the report powerlessness um, it says the report says the staff with whom the, the report uh, met described an environment and I quote here where people were and still are still are very fearful of coming forward uh, as the staff member described a legacy of bullying where people were shouted down and sometimes bullied out of their jobs and the report is saying that that is something which is persisting they still are fearful that's right. So this draft report, Brian, was received by us um, in 2020, and we've been working with the area since then. That is clearly not acceptable on any level. Uh, we want our staff to come forward. We want our staff to be able to put their hand up and say when something is not right in the service, and that did not happen here. Uh, we have got our, our, I suppose, different policies uh, that we have in all of our services to encourage staff to come forward. People should not have to hear about incidents mm-hmm. through a whistleblower. We owe it to the people to whom we provide services mm-hmm. to be able to be honest and open. Uh, we know that in our health and social care services, bad things happen, unfortunately. Mm. That is the nature of, of what we do. So it's even more important that we have open disclosure, that we have people yeah, safe- who can actually say when something is wrong, and that did not happen here. Yeah, it's the safeguards that are important here, isn't it? The report says Critical. a lack of external management, oversight and leadership from the HSE also allowed the situation to worsen over time. If there was a lack of external management, oversight and leadership for the HSE in this case, how do we know there isn't a similar lack elsewhere in other situations? situations. Well, we have, Brian, I suppose, we have been doing a lot of work in in recent years reforming our disability services, reforming all of our services. Um, And we have, you know, in terms of the structure of our disability services, one of the key recommendations in this report, for example, is that there would be an independently chaired group set up uh, to really look at the design and reform of those services. And that has been in place now since the beginning of this year with service users and family members involved. We have versions of that in all of our services in terms of working with families. That is how we make these things better. We work 
work with people who use our services, we work with our families, we listen to what's important to them. We have today got about 60,000 people in Ireland who access our specialist disability services. Uh, This is one example that is a really poor example, but there are many examples of excellent services all around the country delivered by very, very well-intentioned and and committed staff. And is is the management who oversaw this still in place in Stillwater in St. Joseph's? We're currently, so it's important, I suppose, Brian, in terms of any of these incidents that people are held to account uh, when they're found to be responsible. We have a scoping exercise underway. Clearly, this goes back to from 2003 to 2016. So we do know that there's been a lot of movement of staff, that people have left, retired, etc. Uh, but we are looking now in terms of scoping exactly what we can do uh, in line with due process. Uh, and we expect that work to be completed uh, early in January. All right. Well, perhaps we could move on. Um, no doubt this will, will pr- provoke further debate and discussion in, in the days ahead. But maybe we might just have a word or two with you, Anne O'Connor, in relation to the situation regarding uh, Omicron and the, the current uh, COVID wave and some of the projections for the, the numbers that uh, might uh, require hospital care into the new year, um, exceeding the, the peak of uh, January this year. Now, um, what would be the impact of that? Perhaps 2,000 COVID patients in, a, in our hospital system, maybe within a matter of weeks. That would, have, that would have a very significant impact, Brian. I mean, if you look today, we have 443 people. That's down from 470 yesterday and 105 of those in ICU with 71 ventilated. So the number has come down in recent days. We saw about 2,000 people back in an earlier surge, uh, and it put a huge pressure on our system. Uh, we also uh, know, though, that we have other illnesses circulating. You know, we have mm. flu at the minute. We have five notified cases of flu, but we do expect that to increase as well in the new year. And we know that people are getting other illnesses and require services as well. So there is no doubt but that that would have a very significant impact on our, our capacity to deliver services across the board um, and we would absolutely be curtailing many other things. Yes, it would mean a return to widespread suspension, would it, of uh, elective plan procedures? Absolutely. I mean, if you look uh, in the past week, we have delivered about, I think, 1,100 uh, elective admissions. So that's people who've been admitted in overnight for elective procedures. But we also do a much higher number of day procedures every day. Uh, We would have to stop all of that as we did before. Uh, We have to continue the time-dependent and critical work that's very important to many people. uh, And we will will seek to continue to do that. Um, But there's no doubt that we would actually have to stop doing a lot of that other scheduled work that you talk about. And it would impact on the totality of our health services, not just on our hospital services, but on all of our community services as well. The plan to uh, step up the booster campaign by um, uh, putting a, a lot more of the uh, the focus on GPs uh, and GPs asking people as a result of that uh, to defer co- coming to them if, it's, if their situation is non-urgent. Are, are you concerned that, that could A, result in, in significant demand in EDs, in hospital emergency departments, but also perhaps people deferring, getting something checked out and maybe resulting in uh, needing hospital care down the road? Absolutely, Brian, yes. I mean, we are seeing still very high attendances at our emergency departments, particularly in people aged over 75. So that number continues to increase week on week. Um, And I think the messaging is very important here for people. So if people are very sick, if people feel that they urgently need to be seen by a doctor, then they should ask to see a doctor, either their GP or if they need to attend an urgent care centre or an emergency care department, then they should do that. Uh, We saw before that people were deferring attendances, for example, for things, you know, when they're experiencing a stroke, 
that's not something that obviously we want anybody to do and we will continue to provide those urgent and time dependent services what we are saying and what the GPs are saying is if it's something that isn't that serious well then please wait uh, we know that people do attend GPs and our emergency department sometimes with conditions or, or sicknesses that maybe aren't that serious and I think that's where the focus of this request is right. but if people are very sick then we encourage them to seek help too And just a final word with you this news we're only getting in the last little while of a, a cyber attack on the coom Women and Infants Hospital in in Dublin. Do you have any further information on that? Yes, Brian. So we know that um, a cyber attack took place during the night in the Coombe. Um, and as you know, the, the Coombe is a voluntary hospital in Dublin. Um, a number of their systems have been encry- encrypted. Um, we're working with the Coombe, so this became known to us early this morning through uh, the external cyber security partners that work with the Coombe and ourselves. Um, and they have disconnected from the main system. So they're currently, or they would have access to three key platforms with us, and they have all been disconnected um, to, to ensure we're, we're not aware of it going anywhere else. Uh, so we're not aware that there's been any further impact, but clearly that's been examined now. It's of huge concern to us, um, and we are working through that as we speak. Very good. Anne O'Connor, Chief Operating Officer with the HSE. Thank you for that.